0: morning people of the internet, you're listening to Debbie Radio's 79.5 FM, a podcast where we describe the movie, gross point blank, one minute at a time. And I'm Hugh, your co-host, along with Dev,
1: who's just given us his introduction. Today's show, we are looking at minute number three, which starts when a bike messenger rides over a hill in LA and ends with the absolutely cracking line from John, he's don't tease me, you know what I do for a living.
0: Joining us on today's show, we have Neil McKay of Man with a Music Minute Vodcast. Hey, Neil, welcome.
2: Hi. Good to see you. Thanks for inviting me on. I'm really excited yeah, about this. We're glad this, to have this you uh, on. It's great.
0: A real round the world effort. We've got people in <laughs> every part of the world at this point. I'm in California, he's in the UK, and Neil's joining us all the way from <laughs> Melbourne. So. Really, really hitting every corner of the internet and a uh, global podcast. <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely, <laughs> excellent.
1: So, um, Neil, how did you come to uh, the movie Gross Point Blank? Um, I mean, your podcast, or your podcast, I should say, actually, that you're uh, well known for is Man with the Music Minute. So, you obviously approach music usually uh, in the way that we're approaching this movie. But when did you first see Gross Point Blank?
2: I I have a vague memory of seeing it the first time. Um, I think I just saw it on video. Um, but, you know, I, I judged it by the year that it came out. I think that <laughs> I must have seen it on video because I definitely didn't see it in the cinema. Um, and, you know, there was no streaming or anything back then. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, don't, I don't... It could have been DVD. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but if it was, I probably would have watched the extra features. And I... Remember seeing it? That's mm-hmm. right. But um, yeah, when I first saw it, I loved it. Um But for some reason, I never saw it again for you know oh. nearly thirty years. <laughs> oh wow! <laughs> like Twenty-five years now, something like that. But so I think yeah, it's thirty at
1: this point, yeah.
2: I just saw it the other day, well, and feels like it. It, yeah, it was it was great to see it again. It's not exactly how I remembered it. But
1: <laughs> I just think well, that's amazing good- so, interesting question then. how? Did, when you say it's not how you remember it, how do you remember it? You vague though they are.
2: I just remembered that it was a, um, a hitman that was going back to his hometown. But I didn't remember that it was a, like a high school reunion. I, I didn't remember half of the cast. Well, I didn't remember 95% of the cast that were in it. Um, you know, mm-hmm. I remembered John and Joan Cusack, but that was it. I didn't even remember shockingly I didn't remember Minnie Driver. How how can you forget Minnie <laughs> Driver? <laughs> good point. <laughs> yeah, I mean she's wonderful but I just didn't remember that she was in it for some reason. Um I always associate her with Goodwill Hunting. I don't really think about any other films that she's done.
1: <laughs> That's a good call. I haven't thought I haven't thought about Goodwill Hunting in a while actually. I keep forgetting she's in that. Yeah, that was very much a 90s face, isn't it? in some
2: way. Yeah, I was wondering what she's done. I didn't look her up on IMDb because she's not in any uh, of these minutes but um, yeah, I was just wondering what she's done recently because maybe it's that Hollywood thing about she was young and uh, she was the love interest in all those movies back then and now mm-hmm. oh, she must be in her 50s or something. <laughs> yeah. Well,
1: we actually talked about this on the, first, uh, on the second episode. Um, interestingly enough because I actually saw her on British TV recently because she was promoting a book she did an autobiography, um, which was proning and she'd taken a lot of time out to be a mother, basically, and then, you know, has found her way back to the industry and she's in TV at the moment. Um, but yeah, you're right. There was a big gap where she wasn't on our screens. And um and as you say, it's one of those things where, you know, classic case of actresses of a certain age not not finding the parts, you know, yeah. but now there's more and more of those parts being written, which is one of the reasons she's back. Um and I think that's sort of yeah, I think that's a good reason to be re-examining, gross point blank, because as you say, you know, it's, it's it's been a while, and she's back, and uh, and I'm pretty sure I saw John Cusack recently talking about something on YouTube. So, you know, this feels like the right time for all of us to be here talking about it. So, uh, Dev, talk to us about minute uh, three.
0: Yeah, so you kind of gave a rundown of of what happens in the minute. This is, I guess, uh, Martin Blank's first hit of the film Mm -hmm. uh in the uh, hitman sense of the word hit um (laughs) it is uh just i guess a kind of introduction to a character that is doing a job and uh it's in some ways i feel like it's a little underwhelming in terms of the action you expect from a typical hitman movie these days right it's uh very calm very con like considered his behavior mm-hmm. um it's not you know i mean we've mentioned this before right but this isn't a michael bay movie this isn't <laughs> like explosions and action and i think one of you know there aren't a huge number of hit well there's there's a fair number of hitman movies but uh, i kind of think of like mr and mrs smith and i can't imagine this kind of introductory scene working for a film like that
1: I it's funny you say that as as a as a I'm quite a fan of Mr and Mrs Smith and I think half the fun of that film is the way because it, it starts off the same way in terms of being low key of people trying to do assassinations that look like you know that, 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 are, that are relatively hidden and look like co- at coincidence or accident. And the fun of both films is that as they unfold into ridiculous, over the top yeah, action. Great. I mean, yeah. you know, Gross as we, you know, Blank is one of those films that, for all of its limitations in terms of budget and time frame, because they shot it quickly and all the rest of it, has, as we said in the first year, says it's got cracking action in it. But part of the thing that makes the action so good later on is the low key start. You know, the the this is this is yeah. I mean, he literally fires one shot,
2: <laughs> right? Yeah. But but that <laughs> starts yeah.
1: a chain of
0: events. Yes, which and and we shots. do see, we do see things escalate even within this scene. I guess that's that's a fair point. Although it's not Martin that's instigating that. Uh, well, he, we go- well it,
1: he sort of does. I mean, Neil, what do you think of it? This this, this, this opening oh, minutes, we have got the messenger coming over the hill. And, you know, Martin's on the phone with his assistant and he's
2: making the rival at the same time. I, I felt like there's so much going on. You've got a lot mm-hmm. to, to take in, especially the first time you see a film like this. It's, you're you're getting this um, thing from Joan Cusack about about the invitation. At the same time, mm-hmm. you're getting the action that's going on with the, the cyclists coming down the hill. Um, but you're also getting the text on the screen of, like the first thing that jumped out to me was Joe Strummer. They thought, oh wow! Yes. Was from, yes. from the glass, the credits. Wow! Well, <laughs> so you have got the credits coming up, and uh, you know how can you focus on who the director was, for instance, if yep. you've got all this action going on? Is it uh, an yep. odd thing? And they did. I did notice that it's not a steady pace of the credits. They actually paused it. You know, they had the mm-hmm. the first two or three credits, and then there was a pause of credits when all the action was going on. And then the Mm -hmm. credit started again as, as the action died down. But um, Mm -hmm. yeah, apart from that little pause, there's just so much going on. Um, But Mm -hmm. I I did think the the actual one shot. It was interesting that it was like he was saving somebody. He wasn't actually trying to kill somebody. It was Mm -hmm. you know he he aimed at his head first, and then Mm -hmm. it looked like he quickly moved to his shoulder, and shot him in the shoulder. Yeah. Which is interesting because he, it was like his instinct was go for the head. No, no, I'm yeah. here to stop this person from killing somebody else. I'm not here to kill him. Yes. And he, he basically shot him in his his right shoulder, which is yep. the one he would have shot the other guy with. And yes. then through that, the other people were alerted to his presence and they actually did the killing. Um, So, yeah, it was interesting. Yep. That they're setting up him as being... The goody because he wouldn't kill the guy even though yeah, this back
0: bad. that's yeah, a really exactly. interesting point and i'd never yeah. noticed it before i'd just taken it as he shot the guy and i'd no, not really he... considered that that shift in target yeah at there's all. a
1: there's a real it, 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 there's so much going on in terms of lean uh uh very uh like like almost pulp fiction level right like writing but is in film terms of like doing creating character um with through action through movement through the editing yeah his responses to Joan ex character at the same time as he is doing a very professional job you know, the fact that he's able to multitask, <laughs> yeah. you know, in that way. Um, And like like nowadays, I mean, here we all are on our headphones and we, we, we're used to it now in this day and age, but you rewind to the late 90s, early 2000s. And it's like we weren't all like that. Right. That's definitely military training. But at the same time, yeah. as he's got the voice in the ear which should be a distraction. He not only puts together the rifle, um, which Dev and I were researching. We think it's a Winchester, but we're not sure because it's one of the few guns not identified by the internet movie gun database. Um, and um, he puts it together. And one of the things, and, and the, this, this is the thing I noticed this time around for the umpteenth time watching it. And I had noticed it before is the skip because one of the things I've had, to, okay, this is going to be very weird talking on this podcast because you guys are in countries, Australia, no guns. Right. and You know, America, loads of guns. And I'm in England, but I work in a school that has a full cadet force. So we have RAF, Navy and um, uh, Army. And we have an armory with weapons and we have an ammunition room right, with all the locks and everything. My classroom used to be two doors down from the armory. So on a Friday night, I'd be doing my marking while there are boys in uniform queuing up being issued with guns. And prepping them right, so anyway, wow. I've had to learn how to handle a bolt action rifle to teach lessons on JFK and Lee Harvey Oswald. <laughs> we actually do a lesson where we get the boys to try and actually fire three shots on a World War One era bolt action rifle that's deactivated in, in nine seconds. Can they match the Warren Commission's theory? So, for the first time ever, I've realized how difficult it is the weight of those rifles because he's using a you know large caliber hunting rifle as a uh, you know, it's got the bolt bolt action on it, those things, it's I have hurt myself so often, slamming the bolt action in and then catching the bit of skin there, he does everything quickly, smoothly while talking about something he is actually unhappy about, yes. <laughs> aims out that first window that's closed to get the pathway of him and then tracks him down the hill through the wall, he just simply that. In, that I'm, I, I'm trying to get my head around the fact that he's in perfect sync with him, so that when he comes to the open window he can make that decision you just said split second decision, not the head Go for the shoulder. That's yeah. incredible <laughs> professionalism. That's yeah. incredible. You know, but you only realize it once you understand the details. As you say, Dev, modern movies and modern post-Michael Bay action is very much like early, James, like 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 mid-period James Bond. You know, there's a lot of lot of shooting and there's a lot of bullets going, scripts going off, and people are running around, and it's all frenetic. Yeah, but yeah. it's not actually what happens in. Military style situations. This, on the other hand, despite the fact that it's a movie and it's very much a movie creating its own little world, is actually quite realistic. Mm-hmm. You know,
2: and yeah, yes. it's um, it's building up its character as well. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's amazing how so many films you've got all this action going on, but where's the character? What, what's happening mm-hmm. with these these people on screen? Um, mm-hmm. I love Marvel movies, but. I find it difficult to um to kind of get into the characters because there's so much about just the action, especially the ending of Marvel movies. I kinda of, yeah, I, you know. I I'm an old man so I often fall asleep at the end of Marvel movies. <laughs> no, going to like, but to me it's just like I, oh yeah, another I was, action scene. Okay.
0: <laughs> I was literally just thinking that I find them exhausting to watch because there's yeah just yeah. it's so much sensory overload for for so long that i'm just yeah. i i tune out of it a lot i think, and I've, I think I've given on. up on marvel movies yeah some, i some think phase one point.
1: before disney bought them it was different because you had directors who knew what they were doing who were experienced with action and who were allowed to who basically had final cut yeah right it wasn't as faggy orientated shall we say and you know louis mm-hmm. de terrier who did the transporter movies you know his version of the hulk is you know, there is character in the action, in the choices they make and the way they do it. And that's also because you've got Ed Norton and Kenneth Branagh, I mean, Branagh, right? Shakespeare doing Thor. And yes. the whole end is, is just the two endings, the one in the town and then the one at home on Asgard, are so beautifully put together and constructed because people are making character choices in the in the action choices they make. And as you say, Dave, that's all gone now.
0: Yeah, even, know, the, even the Brian Singer X-Men movies were like that. They had that. Yeah that yeah. feel to them they were a little more actiony they were a little more intense but yeah. nothing like yeah. the the roller coaster we see now
1: yeah and and I, th- I, th- I think i think that's a problem i think i think disney buying them we are now in starting to see the fatigue and the failure of wanting product
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: churned out on a regular basis and also having to up the ante every time yep yep um
0: so yeah I so actually I think... I think that that i mean that that kind of finish that we now see with movies mm-hmm. that's one of the things that this scene really highlights for me is in some ways it's too far in the other direction Hugh, oh, you and I, I as we've been prepping for this have discussed you know how desperately we would like a remastered version how how much mm-hmm. we would like a uh commentary track with writers or directors and and to my knowledge there is no version of this film that has has no. that available no way and and as i'm watching the cyclist I mean, admittedly, it's meant to be down the lens of a a, uh, a telescopic lens on mounted on the rifle, but it shows. I mean, even before mm-hmm. it cuts to that, when it's just the cyclist in the opening scene, it's, it's not a great shot. Uh, that's definitely film footage. It's footage that needs cleaning up. A remaster would do a world of good for this film. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And it's not essential, right? This is not a film you're going to watch because it's gorgeous because it's beautiful Mm. uh it's not gattaca it's not a marvel movie Mm. but but it would still i think really benefit from that um a lot of Mm. it is just a little bit showing its age in terms of the the prints that we have available to us
1: I, I mean, it's Buena Vista, you know, who released it. And we talked about uh, Hollywood Pictures, which is the logo at the front last last episode. And, and the, the these were production companies with a degree of money, but they were also... This is this is an, a thing that has now gone the mid-budget movie, you know, and the room to have a little bit of an experiment with things um, and take a risk. You know, this is Cusack's first production, uh, you know, first short film as he's a producer of his own material. And he already has... The hallmarks of what everyone was already expecting from him then added to, added to the action, and then after this he would then go and do you know um, and then we get high fidelity as well, and we get all these other things he 's involved with and it 's just quite kind of interesting that um as you say right the the, 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 the it 's not the kind of film we expect now it 's not but it, what it deserves is to be seen as a film because it was designed for theatrical, yes, it was going to make money on v h s yes it was going to end up on t v et etc et etc. But it was shot to be shown in the cinema, and that's where a good blue, a good high def master. Whether you're doing it in two K for Blu-ray or you're doing it in four K, what it should do is it should look like you're seeing a first gen print fresh out of the lab, on a brand new camera with a brand new um, lens and a brand new bulb. All so every like clean, every color looks fine, everything looks fine. That's what's lacking here. There's a certain amount of age because the master is old, you know, even, you know, the Blu-ray itself is, is perfectly fine. It's adequate, but I wouldn't, I would argue it's probably the same master they prepped for DVD looking at it. There's a few things here and there that indicate it. So, yeah, I think you're right. I think, I think the film itself would benefit from a remaster. Um, But I think we also have this problem of all these nineties American crime films, you know, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, things are doing everywhere you are dead and, um, you know, that usual suspects has just been remastered in 4K and already there's argument over whether the colour's right, whether it looks right. And I'm like, guys, you know, if you can't remember seeing it in the cinema, don't judge <laughs> because, you know, DVDs and VHS and, and other things are not the standard you use. You have to have been there and seen a print to know what it looks like. And, and I think that... um But these films weren't done. They didn't have huge budgets and they were you know some of the the stock, film stock is not always the best stock and the lighting is an issue and it's just you've got to these you know modern viewers have got to learn it would benefit like you say grossman bank would benefit from a remaster but i also feel like you know it may not it will show it will show its age even more then i feel and i think that 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 may be part of the issue um but i mean being that Buena Vista and and it's hollywood a part of disney and disney will own it now um the The question is, do they want to put it if it's not already on Disney Plus? Do they want to put it on Disney Plus? And if they do, then it will need a remaster because that's what Disney Plus do. They put remastered yeah. stuff up.
2: Well, so, I've watched, sorry, it I watched it on Disney Oh, you Disney+. did? So it's there. Yeah, it's yeah. It is, it is, uh, in, the history, in Disney Plus. Uh,
1: okay, yeah. and it's not remastered then?
2: I've, I wouldn't have known the difference, to be honest. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not one of these people uh, that understands like looks at the, the different grain of the film and everything and, uh, and i, okay. I, okay. Fair I, I enough. love films but i don't go into that detail of uh, knowing about the you know different um what th- i wouldn't be able to tell you the difference between 2k and 4k for instance yes.
1: fair enough no that's fine um, let me ask you it, about the area that is your specialty then.
2: My, on, so, on, yeah. My specialty, I don't really have specialties with the no, well, music.
1: Films. I was I just, gonna ask you about music because was gonna come back to strummer and I was yeah, gonna come was back strong. to the soundtrack, you know? Because we start this film with the um original version of um I can see clearly now, right? Yeah. And then and, and then what's interesting is that in a very nineties style, they allow the moment violence happens, you know, the music goes down. And then it comes back yeah. up again, you yeah. know, and the music itself and, and, and it's that juxtaposition of violence and, you know, sweet, soulful music. Yeah, and it's exactly. sort of, you know, that, that's a very 90s thing. I mean, what's your take on it? The bit where the, the messenger, bike messenger tumbles over the, um, the car and suddenly you have the swelling of the song.
2: Yeah. And it's, I think that at that moment he says, I can see all obstacles in my way. <laughs> yes. I think that was the joke, but I'm, I'm not sure. Ah. But yeah, I did think that it was well done. The the it's it sets up the movie as being odd. There's, you know, it's not if you rescored that with, you know, some kind of um, dramatic song that that uh, Tarantino would use, it would be a totally mm. different atmosphere. Um, mm-hmm. On top of that, you've got, of course, you've got uh, Joan Cusack with her sarcasm as well, which sets the, mm. the tone differently too. But the music, I just feel like all the way through the film, there's amazing songs, but they mm. they often are used to um, go against what's happening in, in the movie. They, they just seem to... You know, sometimes it's that you've got a song just for a split second and then it moves on mm. to something else. But they they mm. do seem to jump out a lot. A lot. Um, and especially this scene, I felt like it was. It was an odd start to a movie. I, I felt like. Mm-hmm. You're you're trying to figure out what's going on. Is, why is it so quirky and musically, mm-hmm. where it's so mm-hmm. serious, um, physically, and then mm-hmm. so sarcastic, in the dialogue. It's just, mm-hmm. you're really. I mean, it's slow moving compared to. Like the Michael Bay movies and stuff, it's it's not an explosive Mm. start, but it's a confusing Mm. start. So you're instantly drawn in, thinking, "What's going on here? You know, what what kind of film am I about to watch?" Um, Mm -hmm. And this minute really does kind of set up the confusion, and it probably is because there's confusion in his mind. He's and I thought about the lyrics of the song. he, He has he is beginning to see clearly that he doesn't want to do this job anymore. And throughout the film, he starts to see all the obstacles in his way to getting oh. his... Um, I love that. Know, to getting yeah. to his new life at the end of the film. Yeah. Um, so it, it's like such a poignant s- song to start the movie off with. And it's like the, his theme uh, for the, the whole movie. Um, yeah. I don't know if it ever came back. Um yeah, as you go through, you can see if it ever does come back. And, and then, yeah,
1: no, we'll we'll make a note of that <laughs> when we get round to the end. I because I don't remember it coming back. I I remember it being the beginning. But I I love your point that it is that much more. It it, it is specific, so specific to this, um, and 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 to the uh, uh um the what is happening to the character, and so that means you've now got what this means is that what you see on screen. What you hear in terms of dialogue and then what you hear in terms of music are all telling us who Martin Q Blank is at yeah. this moment in time, which is just wonderful filmmaking that, that, that concision of bringing it all together. You know, that's what Armitage I think I think you know, we we said we were saying that earlier episodes that Armitage is a has directed very few films, but he's been around in the business for a very long time, back to the seventies. And it's just very intriguing that when he does have a couple of hit, films that are reasonable hits, which is Miami Blues and Cross Point Blank, which are within you know the within the same decade of each other, they're both very much lean. Crime films with a very black sense of humor and a very kind of punchy set of editing, and you know, they have a lot in common. Um, and I wonder if that's why he doesn't get as many other films made uh, as possible. But you were talking about, um, talking about why there's so much interesting music. I mean, it's very interesting that the music, if you go to IMDb and look at the music credits, there's a huge list because they had Kathy Nelson, who was a music supervisor, but they also. Um, uh, obviously strummer was doing some score for them as well as helping them uh, get in touch with people there's an executive producer for the soundtrack there's a music programmer and uh, Cusack's mates who helped rewrite the script with him were also saying hey can we have this Um, and so they're listed as music consultants as well (laughs) but Kathy Nelson's quite an interesting character for music because um, I would argue that the nineties was 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 um big for her in terms of thing, but she herself is a uh, cousin of Ricky nelson um and so she comes from the music biz and when you start looking sure at the Ricky film is, is
2: um
1: American singer from the sixties i think yes. early sixties you know but she 's another one of that those sort of California people who um, come from one family but then go into a different part of the creative creative business but you look at the list of uh, films that she was picked doing you know pick helping choose songs for in that time period and it's just it's very very interesting because i'm looking at this and i'm thinking oh i know most of like i've heard most you of know, these soundtracks or i own a lot of them and so this includes right i'm just going to run through it right going back to the 80s she so she started with repo man absolute right. punk classic Right. Yep. She was then involved as a music consultant on behalf of MCA Records for Beverly Hills Cop. She was a music supervisor for Weird Science, Sid and Nancy, Beverly Hills Cop 2, Right, Days of Thunder, Pump Up the Volume, which is a cracking wow. movie right? in terms of music. Thelma and Louise, Point Break, uh, Reservoir Dogs. Right? Yeah. CB4, which was one of the first hip-hop <laughs> movies, you know. Um, just, it's incredible. Pulp Fiction, you know, yeah. Dangerous Minds, we know what, what happened with that soundtrack, you know, Rats, as well as, funnily enough, Michael Bay. She was in charge of music on the roll. <laughs> but it's just wow. fascinating, you know, and then she comes to Gross Point Blank, and in the same year she does Gross Point Blank and Romy and Michelle's High School Reunion and Conair. That's just mad. That's just yeah. crazy, right? These are all major movies that year, and Robbie yeah. and Michelle is another classic cult classic with a cult soundtrack. So she had her finger on the pulse, Ooh, I think yeah. there's no question about it. And I think your point is absolutely, um, you know, spot on. I mean, the following year she did Rushmore, I mean, that's got a great soundtrack. Um, I, I feel like you've got a really good point there with the idea that why is it so quirky? Well, we're talking about somebody in charge of this sort of music who A, has. You know, comes from the music business, knows the music business well, and therefore can reach out, but, you know, is also in tune with the cinema. You know, yeah. she seems to have a real instinct for what these films need. It's, um, it's hard to talk
2: about music of the like movie music of that era, without mentioning Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction, because they yeah. set the standard. I mean, they were way they, yes. they really ahead of everyone else. And yeah. when you mentioned her name, I, I was wondering if it was her that had done those. Uh, two movies because I, when i think about somebody um choosing existing songs for a movie i instantly think of her doing reservoir dogs because yeah. the, the choice once again the choice of stuck in the middle with you when steel as well like and, when did yeah. any
1: of us listen to them and then at that point like you know yeah, like, I, yeah it was a yeah, mind-blowing soundtrack what that
2: song was and then all yeah, of a yeah, it was yeah that soundtrack yeah. It, any bar you went into in the nineties, they were bound to yeah. play that soundtrack at one time. And then yeah,
1: that, but yeah. also the the opening track as well when they're walking down the street in slow motion,
2: little green oh, onions or whatever.
1: Yeah, like, uh, little green no, bat no, yeah. yeah, again, n- I'd never heard of it before then, no. but it's iconic now. You can't play it without everyone starting to like. You know, you, yeah. you go out with friends and all night. You play that's playing in your head as you all walk down the street. You know, yeah. it's it's yeah, that's that's essential. But this is so much more punk. You know gross point yeah. blank yeah. for all the the, 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 the the suits and the professionalism and the officers, this is punk, this is yeah, yeah, yeah. Violent know the clash Johnny uh, Johnny Nash is the exception you know, and, and obviously yeah. David Bowie and Queen, but they yeah. need to have that you know the fact that you've got guns and roses and faith No more on one side, but then you've got the specials, the jam on the other side, you know it's this balance of America and Britain. Yeah. And, it, yeah. and it's sort of very college rock, as they used to call it back then, college rock radio, college radio sort of style. Because, um, I mean, I don't know anybody over here who, anymore who listens to the Violent Fans, but I mean, I did at the time. But then I also yeah. worked in, college, in university radio. Yeah,
0: so. <laughs> and, and narratively, it's all tied in to make perfect sense that this is being played when it's a yeah. 10 year high school reunion. The local radio station is going yes. back 10 years to play all of yeah. this music that they grew up yeah. with, that they were yeah. listening to in high school.
1: Yeah. yeah, I mean it's interesting that those tracks on the trailer that they didn't, they weren't, they didn't get cleared for the film or weren't in the film, because uh, the trailer uses apparently "I Got You Babe," UB40, Chrissy Hind, "Friend or Foe" from Adamant, and "Modern Love" from Bowie. But right. and so you can, I can see how that would get people to watch the film, yeah, but then yeah, the movie, definitely. the two albums they released, none of those are on them.
2: Yeah.
1: Did... Um,
2: so Neil, they um... did they two goody 2 shoes in there? Didn't they? Sorry. Did they have Goody Two Shoes in there?
1: Oh, I'm just having a look at the, the list of tracks. Uh, do you know what? I can't see it on the list. That's interesting. That's weird. I
2: thought that. I, I thought maybe it, was it was something there else I was <inaudible> watching that had Goody Two Shoes in it.
1: Okay. Um, so apparent, So the, I'll, I'll just very briefly, I will just run through the track listing of all, both albums and the tracks that are missing, just because I think it is interesting in the conversa- context of our conversation. So Blister in the Sun, Violent fans Really Can't Fail, The Clash, Mirror in the Bathroom, English Beat, Under Pressure, Bowie and Queen, I Can See Clearly Now, Johnny Nash, Live and Let Die, Guns and Roses, We Care a Lot, Faith No More, Pressure Drop the Specials, Absolute Beginners, The Jam... Armageddon, Time, The Clash, Matador, Los Fabulosos, Cadillacs, Let My Love Open the Door, Pete Townsend, Blister 2000, Violent Fams, A Message to You, Rudy, The Specials, Cities in Dust, Susie and the Banshees, The Killing Moon, Echo and the Bunnyman. Before Donnie Darko, making a point here, Monkey Gone to Heaven, Pixies, Lorca's Novena, The Pogues, which, I, if memory serves, was one of the tracks Strummer was on with the Pogues. Uh, Tones on uh, Go from Tones on Tail. Let it Whip Daz Band. The Dominatrix sleeps tonight from Dominatrix. War Cry from Joe Strummer. White Lines don't do it. Melly Mel. Take on me. Aha. Uh-huh, You're wondering now the specials, um, and then what was mi- what was not issued on the albums? Blister in the Sun from Violent Farms again. Live and Let Die Muzak version, the one that's in this in the in the mini in the mini when they walk in. Uh, Ace of Spades, Motorhead, In Between Days, The Cure, Your Lucky Day in Hell, The Eels, uh, Sharks Can't Sleep, Tracy Bonham, Little Luxuries, The Burrows, Big Boss Man, Jimmy Reed, Detroit City, Bobby Bear, Walk Like an Egyptian, The, the Bangles, 99 Balloon, Nena, and Doors of Your Heart, The English Beat. So that's mm-hmm. the lot. Okay. So weirdly, it's not there. And I'm yeah. I, just like, when you said it, I was like, I'm sure it's in there. <laughs> yeah.
2: I mean, I'm one sure, of the sure interesting, interesting things, because it was I remember seeing that the other day. If it wasn't this film, yeah. it was something else I was watching, and the <laughs> the character on screen was a Goody Two Shoes character. And I was thinking, ah. well, it was will, really I will... the album, and it jumped out at me. But, oh, I was my first album that I asked. I didn't buy it with my own money. I asked my parents. Oh, really? Was oh, um, Kings of the World's Frontier by Adam and the Ants? Gosh, so classic, I was a huge classic. Adam and the Ants fan at the time. <laughs>
1: Absolute really classic. Nice. Dev, I think you've been holding... You look like you've been waiting to say something. <laughs> I don't know, even I mean,
0: well, one of the things that fascinates me about about the list and about um, really just how comprehensive it is, and this is something I noticed as I was like, re-watching mm-hmm. the film, there's actually relatively few scenes where there isn't music of some sort playing, and okay. despite the number of tracks on there, most of them actually are like good chunks of the track it's not like it's Mm -hmm. a a few seconds here or there that you can just barely identify it Mm -hmm. you get a decent length of that track it's almost back-to-back music throughout the entire film Mm -hmm. and it's not i mean there is definitely composed music in there and and you know Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that's something that joe strummer contributed but it's a lot of recorded hits just played Mm. Um and, and there are cuts and there are you know, it's it's abridged, but it's not as abridged as you might expect when you see a list of what is it, like thirty plus tracks
1: yeah. in a yeah, ninety no, minute movie. When you're watching the film you notice them. They're well chosen yeah. pieces and just enough for you to go, Oh yeah, it's that and then the film moves on but without <laughs> Leaving, I mean, you might want more, but there's, because there's another track coming, it, it works quite. It's, it's, a juke, it's the jukebox effect, isn't it? It's a, it a, yeah. a movie jukebox. Um, that's yeah. quite interesting. Um, I hadn't thought of it that way, but that explains why they were able to get two soundtrack albums out of it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, we can count the number of movies with double albums on the on one hand, can't well, two hands, but, but you know,
2: I think, yeah, a lot I mean, it's well, music as well because, it's, yes. Uh, because um, I don't radio. know where it was about the nineties that there's the radio show um, mm. host that was like a, a a major character in a lot of movies. So you were talking about pump up the volume. Pump up the volume. And, yeah. It, it seemed to be like, and uh, I was thinking of um, uh, what's it called the, the the Fisher King as well. Yeah, the, the Fisher main King. character that is a radio host. Um, talk radio. I think, talk, talk, talk about cats radio and dogs. Quite a big thing in the nineties. All of a sudden, you had loads of talk radio shows. Um, mm. So I actually, I, at that time, I was thinking about, oh, if I was to make a movie, what would I make? And my, one of my main characters would have been a talk show host. Mm. Um, I had it like, it would have been a Reservoir Dogs knockoff. <laughs> but a, were the DJs? Guys, was a group of guys that hated the talk show host, so they, they went to try and... Oh. Try and um, can I send him a warning message and it all goes wrong? <laughs> that could be <laughs> yeah. quite
1: cool. That would be really cool because we've there's been a, a handful of movies that do the whole sort of siege in the TV studio thing, but not yeah. there's only one or two that have done radio studio. That would be quite cool. Um, yeah. That would be good. It would be nice to have seen that, be, and that would have fit in well with the times, wouldn't it? Yeah. Um, it, yeah. I mean, it's interesting. It it, it it's almost yeah there's there's if someone hasn't already done it there's there's either a thesis or a book to be written about why there's that series of films in that time period whereas in the 70s when there's a dj in a film they are literally just soundtracking the film right so vanishing point the warriors you know they're 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 there to to help the audience feel like they're part of the world. But you're talking about where the DJ steps out as a character within the film. Um, and I do wonder what like, I'm trying to remember which came first like those two, those films we were talking about, or the TV series Midnight Caller with Gary Cole, which was really, really popular at the time. And because I, I watched it at university, when 89 to 92 in Sussex. I don't know that one. So I was thinking of Frasier. yeah, oh, well, there was that too. Frazier was, was the other TV one, Frasier, well. that was the sitcom one. Yeah, Midnight Caller was like a uh, was like was like a late night BBC uh, BBC One I think or BBC Two um, American fifty minute drama about a guy who does the late night talk show and he's a, he's a but he's not as brutal as talk radio and he keeps getting involved in what happens outside of. The, the calls you know he keeps getting involved with you know someone says something on his emergency, and he's got a police friend, obviously you know, and it's that kind of thing, but it was very well written, very well acted um and and it lasted three seasons um so i th- I just but yeah it just it is there was obviously something in the water um, yeah, and I wonder how yeah I I'd, I'd love to find out why but um that and that's there one the things would be
2: podcasters of course like <laughs> 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 <mean, laughs> we didn't have podcasts, so that was. The way that people got their message out to the world with some kind of, I mean, with pump up the volume, it was a an underground thing. It was a um, yeah. pirate radio show. Um, yeah,
1: yeah, such a good film. <laughs> I love that. Just sorry, I just remembering the way Slater performs in that film. It was like, it was like, it was like him from Heather's, but off, like you know, off the leash in front of the mic, wasn't it? It was So yeah. good.
2: I think he was kind of chan- channeling um, "Good Morning Vietnam" yeah uh, yep. That kind of yep. he was going for that style. I think.
1: Well, yeah, and then "Good Morning Vietnam" predates all those films, so I'm wondering if <laughs> yeah. maybe that's where, cause maybe that's where it starts. Yeah. Is, is is that? Um, so yeah, no, interesting. So we're we'll kind of linking it back to a longer trend of films there, and it kind of you. Know, so it's just another thing that goes into the mix of Gross Park blank. Yeah. <laughs> um, except now we're we're giving the voice to it, gives the voice to to Mini Driver, uh, which is far more interesting as well. Yeah, um, right, uh, Dev, do you I think that's minute
0: three done? I think, I think um, so. Yeah, right. I did so, mention Joan
2: a couple of times. Um, uh, maybe we can go talk about Joan in the next minute. I um, think so. Yeah, so her, so. Her, yeah, her performance we, 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 is spectacular. We, the,
1: Yeah, no, there's definitely space and time to talk about it in the next one, so uh, thank you for listening, folks. This was minute three of the Gross Point Bank podcast, Debbie Radio 79.5 FM, featuring your hosts, co-writers, co-producers, Dev Salagar and Hugh David.
0: Today's guest was Neil McKay of the Man With The Music Minute podcast. You can find him at uh, his YouTube channel.
2: Yep, um, Um. Chief Aberrach in most places. Um or you can follow it's link link tree, so it's L I N K dot sorry L I N K T R dot E slash M W A M M. Cool. And you awesome. can
1: find right, and you can find us as well at all good podcast players as well as like Neil on YouTube. <laughs> Uh and also X <laughs> and Spotify all at Debbie Radio. at D E B I Radio.
0: Where else, Dev, Dev? And on our website, debiradio.com. Again, Debi again, D E B I Radio. And uh we'll be back tomorrow with minute four. And uh hopefully Neil you'll be able to join us again for that one.
2: Oh yeah, I'm sure i can come back. Excellent. Sure was clear that all of this was new. Concentrating hard like a little girl smoking for the first time. It wasn't a moment. It was a feeling of mood.